we're all about turning a crappy situation into something positive. A quarter million dollars of credit card I debt. I still remember the day when no one turned up. Throw it in the garbage and start from scratch. I could give myself a chance, so I started something. I mean, I think that counts as from poop to gold. <laughs> Welcome back to From Poop to Gold. I'm Benton Crane here with Daniel Harmon. Today we have a fantastic guest here with us, Seth Green. Thanks so much for being here today with us, Seth. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here and serve your, serve your audience. Can you start us out by telling us a little bit about your path to get here? Sure. So I started uh, when I was, I originally went to undergrad at Syracuse University for acting. I wanted to be a Broadway star when I was 18. So you see how big my stage got. (laughs) (laughs) So my, my parents being nice Jewish supportive parents said, just in case it doesn't work out, maybe you should have a fallback plan. Yeah. Uh, which was finance, which was business and finance. And my first year at Syracuse University, my dad called at the end of the first semester and said, you're going to have to move home. You're going to have to live at home and transfer to a school in Buffalo. And I can't afford it. And I called my mother freaking out. And she said, your dad just got the tuition bill. He's upset. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. So I calmed down. They made it through a semester. Every semester, this kept happening. My dad would get the bill, freak out, call me, get me all free. After the third time, I figured out this was going to keep happening. So I stopped getting upset about it and said, we're going to make it through. Um, my senior year, I saw my friends in the theater program who had graduated a year before and moved to New York City, came back for homecoming. And they all told stories about sleeping on people's couches, living in apartments the size of postage stamps, having all their stuff in storage, waiting tables, working temp jobs, trying to get their big break. And I said, oh, my God, that starving actor thing is real. Like, I thought it was other people. I didn't think it would apply to me. Mm-hmm. But all my friends are doing I said, I don't want to do that. That does not look like fun. Ah, <laughs> uh, that sounds very... I'm allergic to starving. So <laughs> I decided to pursue a career in financial services, helping other parents plan for college so their kids did not get traumatized by the tuition bill every semester. So that started my financial services career. Um, I got my securities licenses, went to work for a Fortune 500 company. First day back after getting all my training, my branch manager says, I got you a book where all of your clients are going to come from your whole career. I said, man, I'm young. I'm dumb. I'm going to buy a Ferrari. I'm going to be rich. It's going to be great. Give me the book. And he hands me the phone book because this was pre-internet. And he says, they're all in there, Tiger. Go get them. Make 300 cold calls a day. Interrupt strangers during dinner. Ask them for money. And I didn't know any better, so I did it and banged my head against the wall six days a week, 300 dials a day. For years, cold call, cold cold, call, cold call, all day until I found Dan Kennedy, the godfather Uh of direct response marketing. Um, I went to my wife and said, honey, I know a year ago we got married. Uh, Nine months, three months ago, we had our first baby. We bought our first house and you just quit your job to be a stay at home mom. And I'm the sole breadwinner making cold calls for a living. But I want to go borrow more than our mortgage to go hire this guy, Dan. She said, no. Um, I asked the same question for 30 days in a row. Her <laughs> answers, you can, in, you can add whatever profanity you want. You wouldn't be far off. Uh, 31 days later, she said, you better pray this works. And I went from the 6,699th ranked rep. So I was one up from the bottom. There were 6,700 advisors at that firm to top 30 in the country in two years. Wow. Working wow. with Dan. And I got written about in every industry journal and financial services and the phone started ringing of advisors saying, how do I do that? I want to be you when I grow up. And I said, well, I'm 22, but okay. <laughs> and uh, I said, Dan, what do I do? Well, I faxed Dan and asked, what do I do? And he said, you start a marketing company and do it for him. So I did. 
And that was Mar- that's marketdominationllc.com. We started 12 years ago. We started in financial services because it's the industry I knew, but it's grown to 63 industries, 33 team members, offices in six states and three countries, and it's been an incredible ride. That's awesome. That is phenomenal. That's a short version. That's a great story. You did it. You feel like you have practice with that. <laughs> About 304 <laughs> times, yes. Okay, that bet that you made on yourself and on Dan, how long did that take to pay itself off? So I worked at a Fortune 500 financial services company that had a compliance department, otherwise known as sales prevention. So I had to fight with them for, so it took, so the first lead generation magnet we ever wrote was, took three months to get done, which was fast for Dan, if you know Dan. Um, and then it took three months of fighting with compliance to let them let me use it. And after, once we started running it, and this was all direct mail, this was pre-internet. So once it started running, made the money back in six months. That's phenomenal. That's that's a quick payback. Yes, quick payback. It's interesting that you started out in direct mail. That's where Russell Brunson started yes. out too, right? I was not doing potato guns. But yes, <laughs> we both started in direct mail. I was on every junk mail list known to man. Um, if you guys watch the Goldbergs at all, uh, they just did an episode where the youngest kid subscribes to Columbia House tapes oh, like yeah. 10 times. I, I did that with DVDs. Which I oh, well, did. CDs, I mean. I, I did and made up baseball players' names. So it was Daryl Gooden and Dwight Strawberry all lived at my house. and had, <laughs> I had to get home before the mail came because my mom would kept telling the postman, these people don't live here. These people don't live here. <laughs> That's amazing. Recently, I've been hearing rumors that direct mail is making a comeback. What would you say to that? I'd say it was never dead. So if direct mail lets you make your money in the dark because no one can see what you're doing, whereas someone could, if they weren't smart enough to take your course and learn your formula, they could try and swipe it. They could try and go create a ripoff viral video. Um, but direct mail, no one else can see what you're doing. No one can funnel hack your direct mail unless they get on your list and physically do every single thing, which nobody does. So I don't think it was ever dead. Is it making a comeback now? Because yes, absolutely. More people are realizing that it works. And as Google and Facebook get more and more restrictive in terms of what you can say and how fast they ban your ads, people are realizing nobody's really regulating direct mail except the FTC. So pretty much you, it, it's like the wild, wild west. It's There's like little, Facebook and Google when you could get pennies for a click. It's more room for experimentation, actually. There is much more room for It's not as fast experimentation because sure. you got to mail the it and wait for it to cut. The longer. feedback is a lot slower yep. as opposed to your, we doubled sales in two days for a, for, for a video yeah. on a product. But So it's slower, but there's a lot more room for split testing, too. What I love about what you said, though, too, is you kind of the one of the starting points you went to is educating parents on um, financial principles in order to help kids through college because you had basically felt that that problem, that pinch. Yes. <laughs> semester after semester, your parents calling you up and being like, yeah, this is over. You're like, okay, well, that was – I'll wait for the four months <laughs> for the next phone calls, the point you got to. But um, I love that. So along, along those lines, the name of this podcast is From Poop to Gold, right? And that's a, a lot of the theme of this is when you've taken a crappy situation – and been able to turn it into something positive, absolutely, or even something great. Would you, do you have a specific story you'd like to cite there? I've got a couple. Okay, so our done for you podcast into book authority maker service has about fifty four steps that get executed over six months. Okay, and when we launched it, it was all in my head. Every step was in my head, and I had to remember to tell every employee what to do for which client went. Mm-hmm. So you would imagine things fell through the cracks. Yeah. We ended up with. 
upset clients and upset team members. And every time I would do a launch, we would get a whole bunch of new business and then I would be terrified. Oh my God, we have to fill. We have to actually deliver what they just paid us for. So out of that came a project management software program that we had built for us that tells every employee what to do for every client every day at the right time, make sure they did it right, and then tells them what to do next. So that software system got my head onto pixels and literally completely freed us up and made our business a whole lot more scalable because it wasn't dependent on me remembering everything. That's awesome. And that has turned into three separate software companies now that we are selling to other entrepreneurs and business owners on how to do the same thing. Yeah, I was going to say, when you when you went and got the expertise to build that software out, who was who it that you ended up going to? Did you just hire in-house programmers? Is that what you did? Um, I. It's funny. I met someone at a digital marketing event mm-hmm. when I was in the midst of this crisis. Yeah. And he asked the magic question we ask on every podcast, which is, what's your biggest challenge? Yeah. And I was open and vulnerable and told him. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, I'm a software developer. I can solve that problem. Yes. I built one in my own business that does exactly what you want. I can build it for you. And I said, you're hired. Here's a check. Go. <laughs> can you start tomorrow? Yes. That's awesome. That, that is great. I, I love it because one of one of the biggest challenges for an entrepreneur is when you do something really well yourself is to learning to replicate yourself, right? Yes. That's and literally so that's what we process. call it. It's cloneyourselfsoftware.com. Yeah. Gets you to clone yourself. Yep. So through all of these, you have helped many, many companies grow. Everything from brick and mortar to startups to Fortune 500s. If you had to give just three tips to our listeners... Three tips for success. What would those be? Oh, man, that's a great question. Three. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, never give up. Uh, delegate and hire. I would have delegated and hired a whole lot faster. Okay. And most painful lesson. Uh, two most painful lessons were one: build systems so that you're not that can be run by anybody. Yeah. The whole e myth. It should be so easy a teenager could do it, yeah. even though they're not gonna. Uh-huh. And then I would say don't spend the money till it actually clears the bank, because we have another story i'll do the short version of where we had a nine-month sales cycle with one of the largest personal injury lawyers in a multi-state region those guys are on tv all the time and it was going to be they were going to be our newest largest client and i my wife and i we were shopping for a new house because we just had our third baby she was shopping in the price range the mortgage broker gave us which she did not realize was dependent on that contract coming through and guy says yes Give me a contract on Monday. I'll get you a check. Gave him a contract. Over a month of back and forth goes by. I still don't have a check and she wants to buy it, put an offer in on a house and I can't get a response back. I literally parked myself in his office and told the secretary, I don't have an appointment, but I brought a book and I'll sit here for eight hours until I get an answer. <laughs> and she got all huffy and went in the back and came back and said, he changed his mind. And my wife met me at home with a bottle of something. And <laughs> I said, I'm so sorry, honey. You got to buy a house and." Th- Still a nice house, but uh-huh. not yeah. several hundred thousand dollars less than you were expen- expecting yeah. because that didn't come through. So painful lesson. Don't spend it till you got it. Awesome. Those are pretty three pretty great tips, I'd say. Four. Four. Well, yeah. Thank you. Yes, You're welcome. We'll I tried it. to over-deliver a little <laughs> no, bit. Yeah. Appreciate that. Um, d- talk to me um, and talk specifically to me about the um, – the delegation piece right now. I feel like that's something that Daniel and I are are going through some growing pains with right now at Harmon Brothers. So this is something that we're really trying to learn and put into practice. How did you go on that journey from, 
you do pretty much everything to you learn to delegate to the right people and trust the right people. Talk to us about that. Sure. So up until that point, every conference I had been to, every book I had ever read was marketing. And the better marketer I became, the more of a mess I created because we had to fulfill. So I realized I had to start learning how to manage a business and how to teach people how to do things. So I started going to business management conferences and reading management books. Mm. And we're a creative firm. So it was at first I had limiting beliefs that I can't delegate this. How do you delegate creativity? How do you get someone to be as creative as you and to come up with a great idea? So we literally had to go through a process of interviewing every staff member and interviewing me, finding out literally, it'd be like if someone was baking a cake and they, like my wife doesn't follow a recipe. <laughs> she makes it up. She says, I pulled this out of wherever. Yeah. And it'd be like stopping her every second and going, okay, let me measure that scoop and see how much flour is in there. In what order are you doing this in and how long are you stirring yeah. it for to ultimately get the recipe that someone else could follow and get the same thing. So... It was an extensive, painful process when we did it, but we only had to do it once. And then literally we have a process for creating a sketch animation explainer video, not Mm -hmm. a hero video, nowhere close to what you guys do. Mm -hmm. But two to three minutes gets people to opt in on a website for a client. And we had, I finally was able to distill out what are the elements in our copywriting formula so that literally our videographer was our test project. She interviewed the client. She wrote the script. And I wrote it just in case she didn't work out. I was ready with a backup. And she literally wrote a script that was 80% of what I wrote following the process. And I said, that's good enough. The client's never going to know the difference. It's going to work just as well. Hallelujah. I don't have to do all the copywriting anymore. I can hire writers mm -hmm. and say, just go follow this process. Because if my video girl can do it, anyone can do it. And that's kind of the rule, right? If you can get 80% of the way there with somebody else, it's time to delegate it. It's close enough. Yeah. Um, So you mentioned that you had wanted to be an actor. And obviously, you're a writer. You're you're creative at your core, um, is what I feel like. And you've obviously got a sense of humor. <laughs> so, talk to me a little bit about your creative process. So, we do a lot of research first, which is the unglamorous, unsexy part, not the Mad Men. Oh, look, we came up with this great hook. Uh-huh. So, we will try and get all of the top trade journals in whatever industry we're going into. We'll see. Um, we'll use various forms of spy software to see what type of ads are running in that industry and go through those websites or funnels and see what's working for them. We will read, I'm a voracious reader. I will read the top five or 10 best-selling books on Amazon in that category and find out, reach out to a number of my colleagues in the industry who I know work in one or particular niches and say, hey, do you have a 20-page VSL that has worked for that? Can Mm -hmm. I see it? And then get all of that into our, whoever the person who's doing the writing is in my head. And then out pops after we do a bunch of client interviews, the combination of I've forgotten all the stuff in my head, but I've got the client story and I can now write it in a way that has sex appeal. Yeah. It's very similar to our process. We do, we call it our deep dive, get a brain dump from the client, go through and, um, you know, fall in love with the product ourselves, use it, test it, all that stuff. Yeah, but the same way they've got to send it first. We've got to go through their course or whatever it is and say, we've got to talk to their existing customers, make sure they're thrilled. Do the industry research, all that stuff. I don't, I don't yet read all the FOP, the top five best-selling books on Amazon in the industry. I should maybe add that one to my list. <laughs> it's pretty great. Talk to us about how you get your team excited and aligned with with your vision of where you want to go next so we do a morning huddle every day 
We go through what everybody's working on. We go through what reporting on every client. How are they doing? What's working? What's not? What can be improved? Um, we talk about, we did the vision together. So when it was just me, it was totally different. But now it's me and every department head and then ultimately every team member who kind of has to buy in and get sold on drink the Kool-Aid. And we've had employees over the years who didn't and they're not with us anymore. Yeah, you bet. Um, so we only want people who are lifers, who are going to be with us forever. And I mean, our vision, I mean, we talk about how marketing saves lives. So, I mean, we literally had helped build the nation's largest chain of stem cell clinics. And we would fill their seminar rooms and they'd go open an office in every city. And we'd fill the office by driving Facebook ads and print ads to get in videos to fill those seminar rooms. And the testimonials would come back from the patients who was, would say, my neuropathy was so bad, I was going to kill myself. But I came to, I saw your ad, I came to a seminar and it saved my life. And that's why we do what we do. Now, not every product or service saves lives, but if the entrepreneur, if the number reason why entrepreneurial couples get divorced is because they fight over money and we can fix that with great marketing, then those parents stay together. Those kids have a happier household. We're saving lives. There's ultimately, a, There's a ripple yeah. effect, right? A butterfly. We effect. focus on the awesome. ripple. Mm-hmm. No. So I want to hear some of your insights into collaborating with and hiring other people, like how you go about testing a person out, how you set them up for success, what you look for in um, people you bring in to your organization. Sure. So we hire for personality and train for skill. So we care more about, is this person fun? Do we want to hang out with them every day, eight plus hours a day? Um, Would my wife like them? And (laughs) It's important. Yeah, very important. And are they going to be add value to the team? Because we can try everything we do, we learn from somebody else. Even if we invented the process, we got the idea from somewhere. Right. So it's all learnable. Even if I don't know how to do it, I don't build websites or anything. I mean, somebody taught themselves code or whatever it is. Yeah. I care more about cultural fit. So we hire for personality, train for skill. There's a 90 day probation period um, where. And they know that going in. Yes, we tell them. That's awesome. Yeah, you started a lower rate of pay for the first 90 days. If it those 90 days are to figure out, can you do the job? Will you do the job? Do you like doing the job? And do we like you? That's right. And if all of that works out, then at the end of 90 days, you'll get a raise and you'll be making more like what you're close to be making. And then your position goes from you know independent contractor, most likely to more permanent employee, and then ultimately to full-time with benefits. Yeah. At what point did your podcast become an essential part of the business? So the podcast was started by accident. So I wish I could take the credit for it, but I had just interviewed 10 or 12 top marketing people um, for a book I wrote called Cutting Edge Marketing Magic. And I had just started listening to podcasts at the time. And I said, you know what? These podcasts are all just interviews. I've got 10 to 12 recorded interviews. I'm just going to throw them up on iTunes and see what happens. Mm Mm-hmm. And there was no production value whatsoever. It was literally the unedited phone call. So you heard ring, ring, ring. Hi, is Mr. Jones there? Hang on, I'll go get him. Like, it's a pretty great hook. Hey, thanks for thinking, doing this. Like you heard all of it. So the production quality was awful. Um, but the content was really good, apparently really good. Like the episode with Dan Kennedy, Dan's like, I'm not doing 1-800-UBER-CONFERENCE. I'm doing a rotary dial phone. Like you can hear the crackling, like... So the audio quality was awful, but the content was good enough that it took off. And I, we started getting phone calls and emails, and I said, we should make a real show out of this. So we added production value, and we stopped doing phone call interviews, and we made it a real show. And then when it became a necessity, I mean, it's one of our biggest sources of business right now. 
Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank, one of my business partners and clients, it, about a year and a half ago said, I want a podcast. I don't want to do any work. <laughs> and I said, well, I got a successful show already. Um, I'd say B-level show, not A-level. I said, why don't you come on? You can co-host with me. If you're going to co-host, you got to promote the shows that you're on. He said, I can only do one a week and you're doing three or four shows a week. I said, fine. You show up for one. You got to promote it to your list, which is what I wanted access to, sure. um, his influence. And then you have a show and we'll rebrand it around you. And it became Sharkpreneur and took us, put some zeros on the end of our reach because you add Kevin from Shark Tank and all of a sudden you've got anyone will do your show yeah. because who might not have done it if it was just me. And it's turned into a ton of other business opportunities. What do you have coming up next? Anything that you're excited about that, um, or any projects that you want to let our audience know about that you're that you've got cooking up? Sure. So we have taken our original podcast into book program and kind of put it on steroids. So now we will recruit your top fifty dream affiliates, joint venture partners, or clients. We'll drip on them thirty times a year. They'll be in your podcast, they'll be on your blog, they'll be in a physical book with you, and then they'll promote your business at least three or four other times. They'll get dripped on via direct mail twice a month. We will go build all of those relationships for you and obviously explode your business. All you've got to do is one show once a week. So we're super excited for the launch of our Dream 50 program is what we're calling it. That's awesome. Where do we sign up? Yeah, I was going to say, where, where, where should our listeners go to find that? Um, th right now, they can go to marketdominationllc.com, which is our main website, mm -hmm. and there's information on it. They can request a consultation. They can request all kinds of free resources, and we'll, they can take, we'll take it from there. Seth, we have a gift for you. Um, so we have a couple samples from some of our clients, and then we have a copy of our book, From Poop to Gold. So thank you so much thank for so being much. on the podcast. It's My pleasure. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure you like, subscribe, and follow us, and we'll see you on the next one.